We are starting a new series in the book of Hebrews called Better. And we chose that name because the writer of Hebrews, whoever it is, decided that he wanted to set up a series of contrasts to show us that there was something better. And where he was going with it was that Jesus is better. And what I hope you get by the end of the time that we have together is that whatever it is that you brought in with you, let's get it on the table. Let's, let's think about it. Whatever it is that 2023 is confronting you with or, or whatever's kind of rolling around in your, your family, your job, your, your interpersonal relationships, all that stuff, let's, let's kind of think about that today. And let me try to plant one word in your head better. Jesus is better. Now, last week, uh, I shared with you that my grandson had given me some really evil germs, and uh, that uh, last week I was really struggling, and so you got a very short sermon, don't get used to it. Um, The germs kind of lingered, but through prayer and pharmaceuticals, I'm lots, lots better, and I appreciate you praying for me. Better days are ahead. So kind of to launch this, I want to give you two quotes that, that are worth thinking about. C.S. Lewis said, there are far better things ahead than anything we leave behind. And so there's a, a, a thought that, yes, better means turning loose of something in order to grab on to something else and, and to, to keep our focus ahead. That's sort of what we talked about a little bit last week, that, that better means we, we keep the progress, we keep the motion going forward. As Max said, that's the reason the windshield is so much bigger than the rearview mirror. And so better means that something is to be relinquished in order for something to be grasped. And that brings me to the pig. There was a Canadian whose name was Kyle McDonald several years ago, 2005-ish, and he wanted to know if he could trade up, beginning with a red paper clip, and to see what he could get over time. If you want to look at all of the trades that he made, they're readily available online, Kyle McDonald. But, but the short version of the story is that he started with a red paper clip, and he traded it up into where almost two years later, he now has a two-story farmhouse in Kipling, Saskatchewan. Now, the people of Kipling were so impressed with his endeavor that they erected a monument in the center of town to Kyle McDonald. Yes, the monument is a giant red paperclip. There was a show on television, Barter Kings, that sort of followed along this line. Instead of buying and selling, it was trading. And so we've engaged in our own. Derek, come on up this way. Uh, we've engaged a couple of the people on our staff, Sarah Dooley and, uh, and, and Derek, and Derek is sort of representing this service, and Sarah is sort of representing the early service. And, and earlier, I gave Sarah a worthless trophy from the basketball league in First Baptist, Sarasota, 
and, uh, and she was honored to receive that, I want you to have a right. pig. Awesome. And here's how this works. Each week we're going to check up on you. We're going to see if you've made trades. So if any of you are just really having a, a, a spot in your house where you go, that's where I've been waiting for the rubber pig or a house to put a rubber pig in. Never know where this can go. But uh, Derek and Sarah are going to be making connections throughout the, the month. Our, our series lasts about five weeks. And we're going to check on you each week just to see how you're going with your pig. And apparently this one has a name, yeah. Bacon. Okay, cool. <laughs> uh, so there's possibilities there. But we're going to keep checking on you to see if you can trade for better. All right? Give Derek a hand. Uh, he's got a, a steep climb ahead of him, unless any of you are thinking about trading a condo for a rubber pig. Better. And our study is in the book of Hebrews, where the, the writer of Hebrews, whoever that is, and like I said, we don't know who that is. We're, we're not sure who it is. Maybe Paul, maybe Apollos, maybe Barnabas, maybe Phoebe, maybe Priscilla and Aquila. We don't know. And anybody says they do, they don't. We kind of know who it was written to, and that's the title of the book, Hebrews. And so it was written to Jewish Christians who'd kind of been on the track for a little while. Now, we think it was written sort of towards the end of the 60s A.D., so so if, you, if you're a historian, you know Nero was, was 68 A.D., and Paul and Peter were probably executed somewhere around this time. We think that's about when this letter hit. There's no mention of Paul. There's no mention of Peter. It's written to Jewish Christians, probably spread out in the province of what we now call Asia Minor. So the, the letter has... Uh, about three major goals or, or three major things that it's trying to get at. One, it's trying to encourage people. It's trying to say, hey, hey, I know you've been doing this thing for a while, and, and I don't know what your story is as you came in. I've met several of you who are, are brand new to our, our fellowship. Some of you, it's your very first day here. And I don't know your story some of you uh, have come in with, with church history, and, and some of that history is not pretty. Some of you have a, a faith that you, you kind of grasp when you were a child, and now you're trying to figure out what the adult version of that's going to be. Some of you have gone through some difficult times. Uh, you would be very much like this first century, where the, they, they weren't necessarily in physical peril, but there was a, a real temptation to try to go back to the old ways because there was just some, some challenges about living out this thing called Christianity. Second, he's trying to help them not drift from their faith. So this is going to be a very heavy book in terms of doctrine. If you want practical uh, tips, then go to James or Proverbs. You want how to fix your marriage or financial freedom or make your kids act right. This is really not the book for that. This book says, let's go back to the foundations of our faith. Last week, I, I reminded you of the story when Vince Lombardi was the, 
uh, first day as his coach of the Green Bay Packers, he, he held out a football. He said, gentlemen, this is a football. We're, we're going back to the, the starting point. And that's what the writer of Hebrews does. He, he goes back to the very starting point and he says, if you are walking as a Christian in faith, it's not about making you feel better. It's not about the best version of yourself. It is about the glory of God and the sacrifice, the supremacy of the Son to anything else you could imagine. And that's the third goal, the supremacy of the Son. So, so encouragement don't drift in your faith and point to the supremacy, the, the absolute superiority of Christ over anything else you might bring to the table. And I know for those of you who are visiting, that's heavy stuff, but I, I think most of us are a little over the, 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 the watered-down version of what it means to follow Christ. And so the, the book of Hebrews is, is the first century, but it's, it's a whole lot like the, the, the 21st century. So let's dive into the book just uh, a bit. The first several verses, the, the, the goal of the author is to sort of be like a good preacher would be and say, this is what I'm going to talk about. So if, if the whole book or letter of Hebrews is sort of like a sermon, then the first four verses are the introduction. You know, good public speaker, say what you're going to say, say it, say what you said. Well, he's going to tell us what he's going to say. And what the whole book is about is about the supremacy of Christ over anything else. And so he starts off this way. And uh, those of you who are somewhat linguistic, I, I want to show you some patterns in here. He says, long ago and at many times and in many ways in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets, but in these last days, He's spoken us to His Son, spoken to us through His Son. So we've got a time thing, long ago and in these last days. And last days to Him means Christ is going to come in the not-too-distant future, and we are in the in-between time. We're still in that time. So in long ago, we're talking Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, the prophets, the poets, the judges. Long ago, He spoke through the prophets. So the time and the source but in these last days, he's spoken by his son. Well, who's the audience? In days gone by, he spoke to our fathers, but in these days, he's spoken to us. So there's three parallels there, the time, the, the recipient, and the message. Well, what was the message long ago? It was the prophets. We just finished a series in here in Isaiah where we, we talked about the message of the prophets and that the, the, the prophets were pointing us to the way God's plan would unfold over the ages, the way that God's plan would unfold over the centuries. And especially Isaiah pointed us to the virgin birth of Christ, that, that he would live, that, that Isaiah 55, that he would become the, the suffering servant, the sacrifice for our sins. And so the prophets pointed to all that. Long ago, that was the message. Well, what's the message now? He has spoken to us by His Son. And all of a sudden, we're not talking about a message. We're talking that Jesus is the message. So the, the culmination, the fulfillment, the, 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 the bottom line, the, 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 the double lines that an accountant wants to put at the bottom of a column, that's Jesus. He, he's, he's it. And so... 
the message or the, the introduction here, by the way, in Greek, the first four verses are a single sentence. He, he doesn't punctuate. He doesn't even take a breath. In English, we've broken it up a little bit. But uh, he says, this is the thing. Don't, don't miss this as we get started. Jesus is superior. Don't fall away. Be encouraged. And then he really likes lists of seven. He's going to give us seven characteristics of the Son, Jesus. And then he's going to give us seven Old Testament illustrations of why that Son is better than the angels. And so he, he starts off with this, this affirmation, Jesus is better than any sacrifice. And, and that's sort of the, the over. Uh, view of, of these seven characteristics that ultimately the Old Testament prophets talked about sacrifice, that we needed to sacrifice in order to please God. And now the writer of Hebrews is telling us that Jesus is the sacrifice that pleases God once and for all. We just need to embrace him. And so he says, here's seven reasons why we should do that. So, so see if you can catch them all and then I'll go through them whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things through his powerful word. After he provided purification for his sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty. That is a whole sermon series in itself, but I'll, I'll try to do it in the next 10 minutes or so. He starts off telling us that he is the heir of of all things. Now, you've heard me say this before, but just in case, let me repeat it. The best way to interpret Scripture is with Scripture. So, when something is stated clearly in Scripture, we often look for other places in the Scripture where it says something similar or something the same, and it sort of ratifies or validates that, that, that idea that this is a, a consistent theme. This is not just a one-off. And so the idea that Jesus was there at creation and that when the will is drawn up, he is the heir of all things. He is the sole inheritor. Then we might go to Colossians where Paul did write to a church and he said, he is the image of invisible God. He is the firstborn among all things. Now, that, that means that he always has been. He's not plan B. Jesus is not, oh, these people, I, I gave them a chance to be in relationship with me. They, all they got to do is sacrifice a lamb or a bull or a goat every day, every morning, every evening, blood everywhere. That's all they got to do to stay in relationship with me, but they can't even do that. You have one job, Adam and Eve, you can't do that. So let me come up with plan B. Since they can't do that, I'll send Jesus. No, Jesus was there at the beginning. Jesus was there with Adam and Eve. Jesus was there with Moses. Jesus was there with Noah. Jesus was there with the prophets, the judges, the poets. And so he's been there from the beginning. It's, it's part of God's unfolding plan. And the, the scripture is given to us so that, so that we humans can try to catch up because we're a little slow to the take. He is the heir of all things. He was present in creation and history. 
One of my very favorite passages of Scripture is John 1, 1 through 5, the prologue of his gospel. In the beginning was the word, logos. In the, in the very beginning, at creation, when, when there was nothing but, but void, when, there, when the things that, that we now see with the web telescope were, were being flung into space, he was there. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Nothing was made that he didn't make. Nothing was there that he didn't speak. And in him was life, and the life was the light of man. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness will not overcome it. What was one of the first things that God ever said? Let there be light. And so Jesus was there. We we don't understand all of the Trinity and all of the God the the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We don't don't understand all of that, but what we do understand is that there is a a, a multi- aspect of who God is, and and he is bigger than anything we could imagine. And when he was there in the beginning, so was Jesus. The radiance of his glory. If we try to stare at the sun, we don't ever see the sun. We just see the rays that come from the sun. And and God is, is sort of like that. He sent Jesus so that we could see something that we could wrap our minds around. He He, he sent us a representation of his glory. We, we've, we've got to understand that when we see Jesus, we're not just going, okay, Jesus, great teacher, great, 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 great. No, 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 he was the, he was the only and the radiance of his glory is seen. And in John 8, 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Light reveals. Light illuminates. Light, light, light puts corners uh, that, that were dark. Dark is defined by the absence of light. When light gets into the corners, then there's illumination. There's revealing. We're, we're, we're no longer afraid that that light is going to shine in all the dark corners of our lives because of the, the light that is shining is the one who loves us, the one who died for us. He is, he is the radiance of God's glory. He is the express image of his person. When a, a coin is stamped, and somebody's face is on that coin, that's, that's the best they can do, right? But you couldn't look at a, a, a nickel and think that you'd recognize Jefferson on the street. It, it's a, it's a, as close as they can get. A picture is as close as they can get. That's why college kids trade ideas, IDs. A picture is the, the closest they can get. But he is the exact representation. When we see Jesus, we see God. Don't understand all of that. Can't get my mind around all of that. All I know is that God needed something for Alan, for you, to be able to understand. So I look at Jesus. I see a man. I see a man who suffered. I see a man who was born. I see a man who lived. I see a man who taught. But I'm also supposed to see God. And he is the exact representation. Paul said this way in Philippians, he was the form of God, but he did not regard that Godness a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men. And so he, he dumped himself out as a human in humility, even though he was the exact representation of God. The writer of Hebrews wanted to make sure that there are characteristics of this that, that, that are going to stack up and just blow away any other worldview, any other philosophy, any other way of life that we're going to order our decision-making around because He is Jesus. 
and he sustains all things by his word. The word sustain, some of your translations use the word uphold. Sustain is, a, is really a better word because it, it has the, the idea of keeping things going. And, and when the Hebrew people were thinking about whether or not they were going to stay in this Christian faith thing or whether they were going to go back to Judaism with all its sacrifices and all that goes with that, they were kind of pondering that and figuring out how that was going to unpack. He's saying, listen, he sustains you through the drama He sustains you through the difficulties, through the hunger, through the loneliness, through the anxiety, through the uncertainty. He sustains by his word. And Paul said, let me testify of that a little bit. I'm not speaking like being in need. I've learned to be content, whatever is going on. If I'm rich, that's good. If I'm poor, that's good. If I'm hungry, that's good. If I'm fed, that's good. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Too often we look at Philippians 4.13 and we think in terms of achieving. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But the idea of the original writer is enduring. I, 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 can, I can get through all things because Christ who strengthens me. I, I, I can make it through this day, through this week, through this month, through this paycheck. I can make it through this, this family thing because Christ strengthens me. And the writer of Hebrews wanted to make sure that we understood. And then it all points to this. He provided purification for our sins. He, he was the one who, who sacrificed himself. Now, the, the way that all these people were kind of drawn back to is that they're going, hey, we understood the system back then. You know, the old days were a lot better. I understood the system. If you sin, you sacrifice something, you smear blood on stuff, and that that somehow God is okay with you now that you've done that. The, 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 the thing takes your place. But this Jesus story is so vague, right? He, he died on the cross for our sins, and, and that cross was sufficient for all of us for all time. And, and all we do is we ask him for forgiveness, and he grants it freely. All we do is repent, and he, 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 he welcomes us freely. And the people then were going, I just don't understand. I want to do something. I, want to, I need to hurt. I need to sacrifice. And the whole point of Hebrews is that what Christ has done has replaced that whole thing. And, and it sounds too easy, but it's really not because it involves us turning loose. Scripture says later on in Hebrews, unlike all the, unlike all the other high priests, he doesn't need to offer sacrifices day after day. He doesn't need to offer sacrifices for his own sins and then the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sin once and for all. Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his love for us. Current, present tense, demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Once and for all, the sacrifice was done. And the writer of Hebrews wanted to know, this is sort of the crowning of the list. This is number seven in the list. Numerology in Hebrews, number seven is a good thing, a complete thing, a perfect thing. 
And this is, this is the, the culmination. Get all the rest of them. Air, creation, radiance, all of that. But don't miss this. He died for us so that our drama can be brought to him. That's what the writer of Hebrews was trying to communicate, that, that he died for us and everything that we are about. Well, that's kind of the preface to the rest of the chapter. And the rest of the chapter is sort of the preface for the book. Some of you are looking at your watches going, he's done four verses. But verse 4 says a clue to what the rest of it is. And like I said, he loves sevens. So now he's going to give us seven Old Testament references that sort of, of begin his argument that Christ is superior to everything. And one of the things he needed to lay down was that he's superior to angels. Now, here's some context, because a lot of you wouldn't have started there, right? A lot of you would have started, okay, is Jesus superior to Hinduism? Is Jesus superior to uh, Islam? Is Jesus superior to, is Jesus superior to, and we, or, or philosophy, or pragmatism, or existentialism, existentialism, essentialism, perennialism? Is God, is Jesus superior to all those ways of thinking? Is Jesus superior to, to my postmodern, I'll solve my own problems, and God, I'll let you know if I need you? Is Jesus superior to all that? Well, angels was sort of that. You know, we lean on angels to help us out. We, we pray to angels to help us out. We, we hope an angel will show up and help us out. And so, so angels are real, and the, the people knew they were real. They protect, they, they, they guard, they provide, they counsel. But, but somehow there were people that were thinking, I, 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 an angel seems a little easier to rely on than Jesus. And the writer of Hebrews, some reason, started there, and he spends the rest of chapter 1 and, and on into chapter 2 saying, Jesus is superior to the angels. And so while you're kind of rolling your eyes going, okay, touched by an angel and ghosted and all that, you're, you're going, okay, no, that, that was their go-to, just like ours is work, or ours is, is effort, or ours is, is, is let me put my faith in my ability, my material uh, possessions, my resources, my connections, my networking. Let, let me put my faith in those. That would sort of be the substitute here. And so he gives us seven reasons why Jesus is better than the angels, but all of them are kind of summarized in chapter uh, 1, verse 5, for which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son? Oops, let me go back one. Let me go forward one. Let me go forward another one. There we go. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. Put a bookmark there. Listen to this. For which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you, Psalm chapter 2, or uh, again, I will 
be to him like a father, and he shall be to me a son. Second Samuel 7, let all angels worship him. Deuteronomy 32, he makes angels winds and ministers a flame of fire. Psalm 104, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Psalm 45, and then the, the last one, I'll skip a few. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? He, he, he says the angels are, are good, the angels are busy, but none of them are the sun. They, they, they are, 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 are ministering spirits, but none of them are the sun. I thought of you so much that I didn't send an angel. I didn't send a prophet. I didn't send a poet. I, I didn't send anything like that. I sent you my son. God so loved the world that he sent his only son. And so the, 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 the writer here wants us to make sure we understand that he's about to unfold a lot of chapters that say Jesus is better than other stuff, and, and he wants to start with angels. But notice that last line. It says, quoting Psalm 110, to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand, until I make enemies a footstool for your feet. Sit at my right hand. I think I had another one here. Hebrews 12, 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter. Some of your translations say the author and finisher. And after all of that, he sat down at the right hand of God. My dad was a little old school. Marine, born in 28, uh, hard worker, kind of was that, 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 that 50s meld between blue collar and white collar. And work was really, really important to him. And what I can tell you for sure that I learned from my dad is that you don't sit down until the job's done. You don't sit down until you're through. If I told you to mow the grass, I don't want to catch you in here. Don't sit until the job's done. And when we get this description, both in Hebrews 12 and here in Hebrews 1 and several other places in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Acts, the, the idea that he sat down, there was a, a completed work on the cross. The last thing he said was, it is finished. The sacrifice is complete once and for all. Nobody has to sacrifice lambs every morning and lambs every evening and pour blood everywhere. The sacrifice is complete. I love them so much. I demonstrated my love for them. It is finished. And the description of Christ is that he sat down to celebrate that completed work. He's better than the angels. His name is above every angel. Philippians 2, Paul said God exalted him, Jesus, to the highest place. That at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow of those under the earth, those on the earth, those above the earth, and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But back to what it might mean for today. Tim Keller wrote an article this week called Reconstructing Faith. And he talked about 
people who were coming to his church, and, and he described in a lot of ways people that come to this church. Some of you are, are teenagers, and, and you inherited a faith when you were younger. You were dedicated and baptized and Bible presented and, and all that. And now, as young adults, you're trying to figure out if this framework is going to work for you. Some of you have been away from church for a while, and, and you come back for whatever reason, and you're trying to figure out if this framework is good. Some of you are, are trying to make sure your kids have the best possible uh, influence in their lives, and, and, and you're here. And in a way, a lot of us are like the people in Hebrews. Probably some of them had had church people who hurt them. Probably some of them had had unfortunate experiences with a power grab in a church or, or a spiritual leader who had led them astray or, or something that they, they, they heard and, and something that they experienced and they just sort of gave up on faith. They said, I'm not so sure about this. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying, hey, don't give up. Don't drift away. Be encouraged. Christ is superior. And he didn't try to explain away their hurts. He didn't try to, to say, here's, here's, here's a list of things that will make you feel better. Here's a counselor you can go see. He said, before you do anything else, would you start with Jesus? Before you do anything else, would you start with this? Would you allow that God is trustworthy? Would you allow that He had a plan? Would you allow that He's there from the beginning? Would you allow that He's more powerful than anything? Would you, would you consider with your mind the possibility that this, this framework might work for you? Keller's observation was that a lot of people in today's church are saying, no, I don't think so. I'm going to put my trust in X. But the sad thing is that they won't challenge X like they're challenging the faith. When X hurts them, when a leader of X lets them down, when something in X doesn't go as they thought, they, they don't put the same criteria of, uh, of, of criticism on that as they do on the faith. And the writer of Hebrews is sort of like what I'm saying. Hey, this story's been around for 2,000 years. It has worked. It has stood the test of time. Would you allow that it may speak into your life in a way that helps you navigate the hurts, in a way that helps you deal with the anxieties, in a way that gives you a framework for life? Because the writer of Hebrews says no matter what else you're thinking about, Jesus is better. No matter what else you're contemplating, no matter what else you're trying, Jesus is better. And you may not understand it all right now. I, I don't understand it all. One of the things that God hit me between the eyes in my prayer time yesterday morning was God is trustworthy. He took me back to the, the verse that's on the inside of my wedding band, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else is going to fall into place. You can't understand it all, but he is trustworthy. This is a football. It's, it's not, let me, but what about, but what about, what about, how about, so explain. No, it's can we start with Jesus? Can we trust Jesus? Can we embrace 
Him as the author and finisher of our faith. And when He finished the completed salvation work on the cross, He sat down because He said, that's enough. Can we allow it not only to be enough, but to be better? Would you pray with me? Thanks for such a powerful, powerful letter. Thanks that in Hebrews we were challenged to examine the priorities that we're setting out for the year and ask if they're better. Ask if they include you. God, as we go from this place, Help us to choose better. If you're here for the first time, first time in a long time, and any of this resonates with you and you want a follow-up conversation, we pastors hang around. I'll hang out in the lobby. Alan, Jeff, John, we're in the lobby, Bridget. We're, we're out there. There are people in green shirts or people with name tags who can say, here's how you make your first step with Jesus. Here's how you begin to let Jesus be better. And before you leave today, I would love for you to start that conversation. And it doesn't have to be heavy. It could be just baby steps, toe-in-the-water stuff. But if God has prompted you today through a song, through a story, through a conversation, maybe even through some Scripture, would you respond to that? by taking action, by going to see one of our volunteers so that they can get you started on the road, a small group, a Bible study group, a mentoring relationship so that you can take the next steps that you need to take because Jesus is better.